Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to yet another episode of the What the Niche podcast with me, your host, Andrew Morris. Now, before we take the leap into another beautiful conversation, I want to cover a couple quick things. First, a big shout out to my buddy, Corey Higdon, who finished my t-shirts last week. They look fantastic. Please support him and check out merchandise at his website, doublehell.com. I'd also like to give a big shout out to a couple fellow podcast friends of mine. Mitch Embry is back in full swing with his Just Friends podcast. I was lucky enough to chat with him back in March and had a great time. His podcast is just as the name would suggest. It's just friends hanging and talking, and it's a beautiful escape from much of what the world is throwing at us currently. You can find his podcast on all major podcast hosting platforms. I'd also like to mention Dawson Richard. He will be on an upcoming episode of my podcast, and he is currently hosting his own show called The Void Frequency. If you are a fan of lore or of things that are spooky or which simply make you question humanity in general, then his podcast will be something you should check out. His podcast is also available on all major platforms. Now, as for what the Niche Podcast Info, please continue to share and support the show by subscribing on your preferred podcast hosting platform or by donating a little dough on Patreon or by purchasing some merch on the newly launched store at whatthenitch.net. And thanks as always for continuing to listen. And now it's on to the episode. In this week's episode, we will be discussing the dramatic world of stage acting. There's, there's one significant and huge difference, and that is that when you're on stage being Macbeth or whoever, you are in control of your world, of your environment. It's the, the spirit, the speed, the mood, the temperature of that performance, if you're the leading actor, lies in your hands. You know, it's like, with Shakespeare, I always feel it's like riding a really powerful horse that you can barely control. It's that exciting, and it's in your hands. It can never be that way in the movies or on television, because moment by moment you're doing segments, sections, and you cannot, it's almost impossible to get an overview of the work, sometimes because, as with X-Men, the films take months to make, and so you're examining little tiny moments of a, you know, 100 minute movie. And I find that at times frustrating. Ingmar Bergman was asked once, because he was a great theater director, as well as being a giant of 20th century cinema. And he was asked which he preferred. And he said, I love the cinema, but the theater is my life. And I think for many of us who have been able to move between the two disciplines, we feel pretty much the same that way that Bergman felt. Like the fleeting life of a snowflake, 
live theater exists in the extraordinary resounding realm of the temporary, where each moment is a gift to the ever-present audience. Participating in the sweet rhythm of the magical feat of performance. Both parties providing a necessary portion of the mutualistic relationship. For every pause, every breath, every moment, every change in volume can be altered in a precious moment as a means of affectation for the onlooker. The journeys begin as the lights dim and the curtains raise. Imagination checks in as doubt slumbers, and we build a wall of amusement together, a world created with manipulations of language. Characters moving in the shared space as stories of love, tragedy, comedy, and happiness unfold filling every inch of the houses of entertainment, everyone within reach of the words falling from the stage succumb to their unsurpassable power, hanging on to the utterances and being left helpless to their force. Humanity driving you through roads of emotion, traveling beyond limitations of feeling, venturing into a flow of a simple state of being no longer concerned about the repressions of life, being lost in a moment, but being found in the place of escapism, where the undeniable effect of theater allows you to sit outside yourself and exist in the tales unfolding before your eyes. And today I will be chatting with one of those brilliant manipulators of stories on the hallowed stage. His name is Matt Street. He is an aspiring Hollywood actor and is currently an accomplished stage actor. In our conversation, we discuss life on the stage and attempt to lay to rest some of the misconceptions made about actors. We also discuss the beauty of Shakespeare and many other theater related things. Having shared a stage with this fellow, I'm blown away by his talent and even more astounded by how great a guy he is. I hope you enjoy our chat, and I'll lead you into our conversation with a monologue performed by Matt from Long Day's Journey into Night. Yes. She moves above and beyond us. A ghost haunting the past. And here we sit, pretending to forget, but straining our ears, listening for the slightest sound. Hearing the fog drip from the eaves like the uneven tick of a rundown crazy clock. Ah. <sighs> or like the tears of a trollop spattering in a puddle of stale beer on a honky-tonk tabletop. <laughs> Not so bad, that last, eh? Original. Not bottle there. 
Well, give me credit. You just told me some high spots in your memories. Want to hear mine? They're all connected to the sea. Here's one. When I was in the square head square rigger, bound for Buenos Aires. Full moon in the trades. The old hooker driving 14 knots. I lay in the bowsprit, facing a stone. The water foaming into spume under me. The masts with every sail white in the moonlight towering high above me. <laughs> I became drunk with the beauty and singing rhythm of it. And for a moment I lost myself. Actually lost my life. I was set free. I dissolved in the sea, became white sails and flying spray, became beauty and rhythm, became moonlight and the ship in the high dim starred sky. I belonged without past or future, within peace and unity and a wild joy. <laughs> within something greater than my own life, or the life of man, to life itself, to God, if you want to put it that way. Uh, hey everybody, uh, my name is Matt Street. I'm an actor um, and hopefully, when I have the chance, director, writer, uh, and I know Andrew through um, the show we did at IUS. We did As You Like It. Andrew played the Duke in a phenomenal turn. Um, and uh, I had a lot of fun and, you know, uh, met this, this person who's just a really interesting soul and really um, easy to talk to and, and fun and engaging. And so I'm super excited to, have to be on his podcast. <laughs> Beautiful, man. Thank you. Thank you for the kind words, dude. Um, the feeling is certainly mutual. Um, I, a lot of the people that I've, most of the people that I've had on here thus far, uh, with a few exceptions, uh, and in the future, as I move forward with this, will probably be less familiar to me. Uh, but the majority of the people on here, I find are people that I've, I instantly clicked with. Uh, and you were one of those people. Uh, I don't know. There was just something about your charismatic nature on stage. And when we did our scenes together, it went back and forth. And I, I loved that uh, at the end of our play, he wrote everyone individual notes. Uh, and I thought it was really sweet. And uh, I love the fact that he's like, um, it's been fun with you uh, manhandling me on stage every night. And, <laughs> and I was like, I never thought about that because uh, he's a he's a, a smaller guy. And uh, I would grab him and just pull him in for a conversation, not thinking, oh, he's like a, a buck 50 and I'm like 225. And uh, <laughs> it's over here like manhandling. I'm like, shit, I'm just yeah. rolled with to that. Me around. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, man, it's, it's always been a, a, an absolute delight uh, to sit down and chat with you anytime that we had an opportunity back in the green room and or the dressing room, if you will. I was going to say uh, yeah, it was it was awesome, man. You and Alec, I I, I got the uh, the great end of that stick. I got the coolest dressing room, in my opinion. And uh, <laughs> that was a pretty fun one. I, yeah. That was a really fun time. 
So uh, we're going to kick us off. I think a good question, especially with my theater people, just because I think there are so many things that are wrapped up with misconceptions and associations, whether negative or positive, uh, that individuals outside of the theater community often make about those theater people. So what are some things that you've encountered that people have assumed about you or things that have, you know, people that you know, there's been assumptions made about them that maybe you'd like to talk about and maybe clarify. It was funny. Um, uh, Okay. So like um, as an actor, you get a lot of similar questions. Um, My favorite one. Okay. So I went on tour before the COVID-19 um, I was on tour with Kentucky Shakespeare. Um, we were doing Hamlet um, for high schoolers, which was a super rewarding and incredible experience. And I'm very, like, really uh, torn up. So side note, that- you were in that? Yeah, I was. So yeah. you were scheduled to come to DOS. That's hilarious. I had, I had a performance set up for our school, so you were going to come perform for us. Damn, That's- dude. <sighs> I'm even more bummed now. That's so I- hard. It, it really did. It, we literally ended at IUS. We had like a week long thing. Like a, was it, I think it was four or five days at IUS. I think it was four. It was like Monday through Thursday at IUS. And th- those were our last shows. And then COVID-19 happened and everyone kind of went on lockdown, which is, you know, fair. And, um, and then they've been pushing it back. And now we're, uh, you know, plans are trying to be made possible, but like there are nothing, there's nothing set in concrete or stone, which really sucks because I was really excited to, to, to um, keep going to schools because our first week we did uh, a show at Seymour High School and then a show at um, Fern Creek and then we did four days at um, Murray State, the college. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's a huge space, but like they had a bunch of high schools get bussed in and then we did shows and it was just like we had half-hour Q&As for that, which was so wonderful. And um, – but to go back to that question, a lot of the questions you get asked are so interesting because they're some of them are the same ones. It's always like, um, how do you memorize those lines? Uh, <laughs> um, like, you know, uh, how do you stay concentrated and this kind of thing? But it seems like people think of actors, there's like this myst- mystication or myst- mystification of actors uh, as if we're like strange and tragic figures. And like 99.9% of us are just people that, like to do this <laughs> you know as you know because you've down stage it's like um acting for us is just how we explore our humanity as other artists have painting or they have the written word or um you know that some people are masters of a camera and for me i i just have started to learn how to express myself physically and vocally and that's such a fascinating thing but um but there is that kind of mystification of like, you know, the, um, the tragic souls, that kind of, which I think the tortured artist type, which a lot of people assume, um, which is fascinating because then it's, it's as if people expect us to walk out and be like, um, you know, like dressed all in black with shades and a turtleneck <laughs> and like not speak to a single person and just like walk away, you know? Um, he did that and, every day on set. Don't let him lie. Yeah, exactly. Yes, that's all <laughs> I ever did as you like. No, but um, but they also assume they also assume that this is actually fascinating as well because I've I've been so on the, the the tour and other times people assume that you are 
entirely emotionally open and like open to everything at all times. Um, as if you are a person that they can, like you were a character and now you're, you're not really a person, you're an actor now. Um, so therefore they can like, kind of just like be like, Hey, here's this question I have that uh, I can, I need to ask. It's really personal, but I wanted to ask you specifically. And you're like, ah, oh, what, what, why, <laughs> why would you do this? You know? Um, uh, which I think is a, a, a symptom of like, I, I found this with young people more so that like, I think it's a symptom of like YouTube culture now. I like all of them are the YouTubers are so accessible and they expect everyone that is in their life that is in any kind of capacity that's performing for them to be that kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there's also, there's so many interesting things that people think about actors. I find that a lot of people have this kind of conception of actors as, um, as I said, arrogant or actors as like entertainers at all times, which is funny, you know, as if we are, are always on as if it's, it's like when like people ask comedians to do jokes, you know, and they're or, like, Don't make or, jokes. S- or singers to sing on the, on the spot. I find that when I tell people I sing, they're like, uh, well, oh yeah, sing. Oh yeah. yeah. In the foot locker here at the mall. Yeah, let me let me go ahead and bust out a show tune for you. Yeah, let me bust out a show tune. Mm-hmm. Or or I've had I had a dude, which is very funny, but had, <laughs> um a friend of mine, he's a bartender. I was sitting with my girlfriend and um both of us are actors, and uh and he goes, Oh yeah, you're a real actor? Can you make yourself cry? <laughs> like and I was like, No. <laughs> like but my girlfriend could, and it was the coolest thing ever. But like, um, but like that's the kind of thing that people assume. That like you can you can turn on emotions at any time, or you can kind of like you can launch into something like that with with no preparation or, or anything like that, which is fascinating. Because um, people again like actors, everyone assumes actors are like the Hollywood type of actor, like this kind of like celebrity figure instead of like you know I think the majority of actors are like New York theater actors and that kind of type, which is like they do the show, they walk out, and they go home, you know. They, they spend two hours where they're like instantly focus on something and then they turn it off and live a normal life. <laughs> they just do their job, you know? Yeah. Me and, really- me and Ashley touch base on that. Uh, Ashley Wallace, who um, is really, you know, we both were in a, the show together under Ashley Wallace, who was the director. And uh, I believe we both also taken classes with her and we know her pretty well. And she mm-hmm. had touched base on something that was really um I hadn't really thought about it that there are many actors that are very reserved uh, and very um, mm, sort of closed off personalities off stage. Uh, whereas they come out and play these big, bold characters. And uh, this kind of took me back uh, with some of the characters that we had in our show. I would ask sir, some of the characters, uh, uh, James, for instance, played this big, crazy, goofy character. And then they would come off stage and he would just be sitting there and not really saying anything, not looking at his phone, just kind of hanging out. And I'd be like, are you okay? Yeah, dude, I'm fine. Yeah, I was like, I was like, Oh, well, I just, okay. All right. I was like, I thought you were that guy that was out there. Even me, I made the, the, the misunderstanding. Um, but me backstage, I played the Duke and I was very angry and come out and threatened to kill everybody basically. And that is very, not very much, not me. Um, yeah. and it's funny that people are like, are you, why are you so mad? Like, because the character's an asshole. Yeah. Like, what do you expect? That's, 
that's what you need. That's what yeah. you have to do. Yeah, it's like, this is called acting. (laughs) Exactly. That is another thing that people, uh, that's that's really interesting. I didn't think about that. But that's another thing that people uh, do is like, they expect you to be the person they just saw on stage. Yeah. Like, um, I'm trying to think of the exact. So like, okay, Um, I did a show at Theater Works in Southern Indiana, which if any any listeners in the Louisville area, please uh, see a show there. They're phenomenal. They, They do great theater. The Roseberries are the best people. The best, the best people. Jason <laughs> was my first director outside of college, and it was the greatest experience I could have ever asked for for that first like first show. I wasn't out of college yet, but it was yeah. it was during the summer between like my junior and senior year, basically. And I was like, ah, you know, nervous because it was the first time I'd done something outside of college. Yeah, and um, outside of an educational setting, and he uh, made it so wonderful. But I have to touch I, on that before you move. I don't mean to derail you. Oh, if good. there are any other theater people listening, uh, any other directors or any individuals that are running a show, please call Jason Roseberry. I mean this from the bottom of my heart mm-hmm. and talk to him about how he runs his audition process because it is the best audition that I've ever had. I did. I mean this that I did not give a shit if I got a role because I had fun for two hours. Legit. It felt like an acting workshop more than it felt like an audition. Uh, I went in, he paired me with different people. Uh, He had me read for multiple characters. Uh, He might not do this for every show. I I was in Peter and the Starcatcher, which lends itself to a lot of gender bending and role bending uh, and playing multiple things. That's how the show's designed. Uh, But it was such a blast for me. And it took away all the stress. It took away from stand and deliver, stand up there in front of a room, uh, maybe with just two people in this big space, which it's not big there, but either way, um, it just took away the pressure. Uh, and it allowed me to come out of my shell and really show what I had in, in a multi, multifaceted way. And I loved it. I just had to say that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had a similar, the, my additional experience for them was awesome because it was, it was two people in a room, but it was like, I was the only guy there. So I kept just reading the same scene over and over again. (laughs) So I got so comfortable with it. And it wasn't even a scene that was for my audition. It was for like all the other people playing the young cousin. So I was just Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'll I'll read for it. Why not? Mm -hmm. Um, But but yes, absolutely. I, I would have loved to do that show. I love Peter and Starcatcher. Beautiful, beautiful script. Yeah. Um, And you guys did a wonderful job with that. Um, Thank you. um, But uh, I played in Brighton beach. I was a 13 year old kid from brooklyn so i had the brooklyn accent i had these kind of like like kind of like all over the place kind of like energy going on and then i i would walk off and i was 19 at the time (laughs) so like i would walk off and and just like talk to people that didn't know me and they were all of them were like a little like hmm you know like like what i thought you how old like every one of them asked me how old i was assuming i was going to be like 16 and i was like oh no i'm 19 about to turn 20 I'm six months away from 20. And they're like, Whoa, what? Because like they just, they, people form these conceptions of, of, of who you are in their mind. Um, on, when you're on stage or, you know, if you're a screen actor, it's the same thing. They, they, they form these kind of associations. Um, and they're like, no, he's exactly like that person. And it's like, some people are, I'm sure some people, some people like play themselves and play themselves very well, but others, you know, know what to, how to turn off certain things and turn on other certain things. And um, that, that misconception, that kind of assumption that people 
uh, you know, you're Hamlet as if like, as if any human could actually be Hamlet, because like, if you were, if any human actually had all of the stressors of Hamlet, they would die immediately. (laughs) Their heart would give out. Their heart would give out. It would be gone. Yeah. Like the the amount of grief and the amount of anger and, 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 and energy that that Hamlet has, you'd be like (laughs) exhausted after six hours of living that life. Or so many of, of his tragic characters. I mean, that's the beauty of it. Macbeth or Othello, uh, all of those come with, you know, their own unique presentations of stress and, and tragedy in the lives and or lady Macbeth or Banquo, all the, all those characters are just so heavy, (laughs) you know? know, So yeah, that, that would be awful. (laughs) Oh yeah, exactly. What I want to be that person is everybody Ben Platt. And the fact that when he played dear Evan Hansen, he lived this like reclusive lifestyle, the entire run of that show where he didn't talk to anybody. He went home. He made himself that character. He said it was awful. Uh, but I mean, it won his ass to Tony. So I mean, he has something to show for it. Um, and (laughs) it's interesting that I've referenced that show on like three of the podcasts, but why not? It's an amazing show. It's an amazing, yeah, it's beautiful, (laughs) beautiful show. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever cried that hard in public at a show. Yeah. Uh, there's the song, if, if anybody's familiar with Dear Evan Hansen, uh, it's a high school kid. If you're not familiar, high school kid uh, pretends to have been a friend with a kid, a kid that commits suicide. There's this whole twisted uh, web of things that happen after that. Uh, and he ends up straining the relationship with his mother and then there's a song at the end called so big and so, so big, so small. And, uh, <laughs> there's a line in the song. She's talking to her son about understanding that it was really hard when her, her, his father left <clears throat> and talks about the moving truck that came to pick up the father. Um, and how that initially the kid was excited because this big truck was outside and then him understanding that that truck represented the thing that took his father away from the family. And then the mom has a line that says, uh, you're waiting for the day that another truck comes to take your mother away. Mm -hmm. I've audibly cried. Like, (laughs) I was like, I was like, Oh God, I can't. I was like, and I know the show, you know, I had listened to the music and knew the show pretty well. But just seeing it and having all the visual because I'd only listened to it at that point. And that is, to me, that's why I love theater is the magic of moments like that. And you could hear the sniffles throughout the theater. Like that was probably the first show that I, I was so moving in such, such a, an accessible way for everyone. Uh, me being a teacher, I, I connected to it in a different way uh, because I see Evan Hansen as my students. There's so mm-hmm. many of my students and my kids in my classroom that are that kid. So it, it just touches me in a unique way. Sorry to sidetrack. No, no, you're good. That's actually, that's, that's a beautiful point because that's what's, that's as an actor, that's what you do. That's what you're trying to do. That's, that's probably, you know, if, if Ben Platt or anyone on the Darren Hansen um, cast or crew ever heard that, they would probably be filled with joy, <laughs> which yeah. sounds weird. The fact that, like I was weeping and they're like, yes, that's <laughs> what I Gotcha. Um, Yes, but but like that's what that's what we do it for is to elicit emotion and to allow people the space to explore things like that um, in a safe way. Like I watched um, uh, this beautiful movie called Honey Boy. So um, good, so good. It's it's mm. it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. But I wept. 
<laughs> when I watched that movie. Like I was like, I mean, like for like a solid 45 minutes, like either on the verge of tears or inactively crying. And like, I've never cried that hard in a movie before. I mean, like I've cried at like Lady Bird, Lady Bird uh, Hot Take is my favorite movie. But, um, but like Honey Boy just like destroyed me because it allowed me to explore a lot of, a lot of emotions um, that I hadn't really exposed myself to in terms of like, you know, um, a father-son dynamic and like an, uh, like a, an abusive um, mentor dynamic, which I've never had, but I found uh, fascinating and like, and, and, and is betrayed so well. And the fact that Shia LaBeouf was playing his dad the whole time also just kept hating me harder and harder as he was exploring these kinds of things. And I was like, that experience must have just been so like soul wrenching, but also cathartic at the same time, you know? And again, that is, I think, um, why anyone that acts for any length of time does it is to explore those kind of things that like, you know, like, um, to explore that emotion is something that like, that's like, that's like, that's, that speaks to your soul. That speaks to who we are at our core. Like we all have a relationship with a father figure, whether it's like an actual father or someone that uh, feel devoid of a father or, um, or, you know, if you have uh, two mothers, like someone kind of, you know, everyone has that kind of person in their life that is like a, a authority figure or something like that, you know? And, and, and the, that relationship to see it corrupted like that in that movie is so heart wrenching. Cause it's like, ah, oh, that could be so many things. And of course that led to PTSD. And of course that led to these, this intense, need to um destroy yourself as like the Shia LaBeouf character is as he's older like that kind of relationship of course it, it it lends itself to these certain things and it's like exploring that as a as an audience member is amazing and then as an actor is even more so amazing you know I think the the vulnerability uh for those of you that don't know I always like to try and fill people in uh there the film that we're talking about is Honeybee uh it's basically a loose interpretation of Shia LaBeouf's childhood. He wrote uh, the film and stars, as he mentioned, as his father in the film. Uh, and it, it's it's beautiful. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime for free. So for Prime members, go out there, check it out. It is so awesome. Well worth your time. Uh, while you're in the same r- realm, go ahead and check out Peanut Butter Falcon. That was probably the feel-good movie of last year. Uh, that's a beautiful film as well. But I think the thing that you're touching on is vulnerability. And actors being able to be vulnerable uh, in a way that we might not be able to be in our normal lives. Uh, We might use um, the characters that we're playing as means of catharsis to sort of explore uh, and maybe work through some things that we have in our own life. Uh, And those are the things that the good actors and the great actors do. Uh, And then you create those moments in, in a live setting as an actor. I've experienced this just a couple times. Um, but those moments in a theater where the room is filled, mm-hmm. you know, with ever, how many ever people, and you're able to stifle any noise in that room because of the things that you're saying in that scene and the things that you're portraying in that moment, everybody's right there with you. Nobody, nobody speaks. You can hear the heartbeats of the people in the front row. And, those are the moments that you really live for because you know that they're coming on that journey with you. And uh, I had uh, one of those moments myself. There was a show called the magic show uh, at actors theater. That was absolutely just breathtaking. 
uh, unbelievable. And there was that moment in the theater that like my ears were ringing, that it was so quiet and the tears are streaming down my face because the things that are unfolding on stage are just so heartbreaking. And those are for me that those are the moments that I'm looking for uh, yeah. as an actor. I'm like, Ooh, that's why I want to do like more gritty drama uh, and stuff like that in the future, because I love those moments. So I don't know if you, what you think. I, oh, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, I, <laughs> that's absolutely, I, I love those exploring those kind of moments because, um, you know, I've, I've thought about this a lot. You know, COVID-19 has allowed a lot of people a lot of time to think, you mm-hmm. know? And I think um, sometimes as a, as a kid that grew up in, I was never, I'm not going to say I'm, I was never rich. I was never, but I was never dirt poor. You know, I, I, I grew up comfortably lower middle class. I could afford, uh, you know, my family could afford everything we needed, but we never took a vacation or anything like that. So like, I, I never had like, you know, this experience of like wealth, but I also never had the experience of like poverty either. Um, and what's so incredible about acting is like, you get to expose yourself to feelings that you maybe have never had before, you know, maybe you've lived a life that was like a little bit softer than others were. And then you play a character who, you know, like Hamlet, I keep returning to him because I was just playing him a month ago. Um, and it's fascinating. He's such a brilliantly written, I mean, Shakespeare, obviously Shakespeare's a genius, hot take. Um, but, um, but but Hamlet truly is just like, he's every young man, like every, like everything, every problem that young men go through, I think is in that play in some way. Um, and the, the feelings, uh, except for the lust with the mother, I'm out on the, well, I mean, that's, 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 uh, I think that's, that's something I actually love that question because that's something like that. I didn't like, we didn't because that's that's a very i think that's a very of the the like freudian era like like just around the freudian era like everyone was like of course he wants to have sex with his mother um, <laughs> because that's, that's exactly what the, the culture is saying but like i both myself and the actress playing gertrude and the director were like i don't we don't want that that's not what that's not what we want this relationship to be um in this production which is the wonderful thing about shakespeare is that you can make those decisions and go no nah, i don't want to do this thing that people have done before it's just not what i want to do i want to find our own thing and see what comes out of it um but like but like the, the the feelings of grief like the exposure to grief of losing a father um that the feeling of like destroying someone you love by accident or on purpose you know because i think he does it by accident in some ways with the mom through the closet scene you know if anyone you know go read hamlet please um <laughs> but or see it there's a million productions uh, online um especially what's, your, what's your take on the mel gibson version i happen to adore that version personally i have, I have not seen that version actually i i see i avoid it's sometimes it's hard for me to watch filmed like movie Shakespeare. I love to find filmed theater Shakespeare. Like mm-hmm. um, if anyone can find it, there's a lot of like oh, illegal sites that you can find it on. Um, but the Andrew Scott Hamlet, Andrew Scott played Moriarty and like the Sherlock. That was like the, the BBC Sherlock that was really oh, yeah, big. Yeah, yeah. The last. Yeah. He plays Hamlet in the most beautiful way I've, I've ever seen. It is my favorite Hamlet of all time. 
I don't know if anyone will ever top it. Um, so if anyone can see it, please, God, go watch it because it just, it just, like he breaks your heart just by standing there. And it's like, how is that even possible? How can you do this? You know, how do you just stand there and everyone's like, oh, we're crying now. Like, like what the heck is this? Um, but like, but I've never seen the Mel Gibson, but I'm interested in it because it seems very um, like, it's like set like what? In like the 1100s, right? Mm-hmm. Sort of. Yeah. 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 What do you, what, what touched you about it? Uh, for better or worse, Mel Gibson is, is a, you know, he's a, a character who has been associated with a lot of negative things. And uh, I'm not going to support any of that stuff. Um, but I think the same things that make him a little unhinged in his everyday life are the same things that make him brilliant. Uh, you know, and Braveheart, he's just absolutely wonderful as William Wallace and did an absolutely bang up job directing that film. Uh, every shot in it, I just love. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, and I think he channels that same energy. Um, because honestly, you, you can make some similar connections between William Wallace because uh, the story of him, uh, even the historical one that, you know, Mel Gibson steps aside from a little bit, is tragic. Um, tragic and also beautiful uh, in some of the triumphs, which maybe a little less of that in Hamlet, obviously. Uh, but I think he's able to channel that, that angst and that anger and that, that fear and the sadness all in such a way that that creates real magic with that character um, the way that it can be if it's done properly. Uh, and I think that he de- he's done a really good job. If you do watch it, please let me know what you think. Cause I'd be curious. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. So uh, I would, yeah, I definitely need to give that a watch. Cause I love, I mean, like I've seen the Kenneth, like the Kenneth Branagh version or parts of it. I haven't seen the whole thing. Um, so I definitely should go back and watch <laughs> that one as well. Yeah. Um, and I would also, I'm, I'm also fascinated by the Ethan Hawke version. I want to go back and watch that. Um, Ethan Hawke, like, I don't know about his portrayal of the, of the entirety of it, uh, but he did a, um, an accompanying documentary of sorts where he, he talks about his journey into playing the character uh, and the mm-hmm. research that he had done uh, and the explorations. Like, he went to, like, all these avant-garde performances of Shakespeare uh, and it shows some of them. And while wow, you talk about some uh, unique interpretations of these things and uh, yeah. he really dove deep, man. Uh, and I respect him as an actor um, even more so than I already did uh, understanding the process uh, just because, you know, for individuals that, you know, aren't familiar with things like Shakespeare it's like learning another language um, because the language is so antiquated that it's, it's barely in the realm of modern English. Um, So you do kind of have to familiarize yourself, not with just your lines, but as a good actor, you have to know what the hell you're saying. So you have to do a lot of contextual analysis of what you're doing. Um, And, you know, beyond that, if you're playing Hamlet, I mean, that question is fair to come to you. Uh, and the fact that you played the character within a Shakespeare play that has the most lines of any written Shakespeare character for a male. Um, yeah. So that's a, that's a feat in itself. So you have Luckily to we turned it down to an hour and a half. So, <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. I was going to bring that point up. I'm like, I'm sure you weren't sad about that. Um, no, I mean, I still had. <laughs> 
we still had all the iconic speeches in there, which is fascinating. Like we still yeah. had me not to be was still in there. Um, the speech to the players was still there. Uh, the um, um, oh, that this two two solid flesh was still in there. So like all like the, the the speeches were there. Just a lot of the scenes were like we got uh, six lines. Let's do it. Move. <laughs> yeah. Or like some were omitted, which uh, some of them like my some like my favorite scenes were omitted. Um, not like my favorite scenes because they're like the famous ones, but like the fame the my favorite scenes because they're just fun. Were kind mm. of omitted, yeah. and I was like no. But like, you know, the gravedigger was still there. And that's all that matters at the end of the day is that the gravedigger's yeah. there and you get that laugh out of it. Like, yeah, right. you know? Yeah. But and that actually, that brings me to something. And it's like, because we talk about Shakespeare and Shakespeare is like, is, I think so, so many people have so many, so many misconceptions about Shakespeare because as I'm sure you know, in high school, you're meant to read Shakespeare. You're not meant to, and not read it, not even read it out loud. Like you just meant to read it, and it's like, yeah. why, well, why would you do poetry? You don't read poetry in your head. That's not that's not what you do. Like, yeah. and, and it's so dumb because like I had the same experience where like my my uh, English teacher in, in my senior year, although she was amazing in the fact that we she encouraged us to watch it at home, um, but I because or read it out loud because um, we didn't like read it in class. Um, but like I found like a BBC like free version of Macbeth. Um, but like we talk about the stories, but those stories are so universal, like so mm-hmm. universal. And that is, I think like as, as an actor, I think that is like the most, the thing that really hits me like right in my chest and my soul is like the universality of stories of like, so like um, Shakespeare, like uh, it's been adapted into a million different films, but my, two of my favorites are Akira Kurosawa's Shakespeare films. Um, do you know anything about those? I do not. Oh my God. So do you know Akira Kosawa? Do you know that name? I do not. Um, Seven Samurai. I'm sure you've heard of that. Mm-mm. Oh, okay. So Which Seven is, Samurai. This is a rarity, guys. People that know me know that I'm quite the film buff and you're, you're taking me to uh, an uncomfortable place, man. How dare you? Ah, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, but Akira Kosawa is like a Japanese master of film. He was like um, post-World War II uh, until the 90s. He made just so many films. But like, um he's like kind of like the guy when people are like oh japanese film it's like oh akira kurosawa it's kind of the, the the guy um seven samurai and like rashomon are two of like his biggest films but he made two shakespeare adaptations one of macbeth and one of king lear and um he took the spirit and the essence of those stories and then set them in japan in different time periods i think um king lear was set in like edo era japan um and it was about you know the story was there the same story was there like um a king splits his land up between you know three children and um you know one of them is like not as uh won't fawn over him while the other two do and then he banishes that person and then like the other two betray him and then he like eventually reunites with them as he goes mad like the whole story's there but it's shot and set in japan in japanese without any of shakespeare's lines um and it's so beautiful like it's one of my favorite it is my favorite version of king lear i've ever seen just because it is so it is so unique and interesting and the same thing with um throne of blood which is like uh it was like so ron ron is the king lear and ron was in 1985 but throne of blood was like a black and white 1940 1957 film 
starring Toshiro Mifune, who's like the greatest Japanese actor of all time. And he plays Macbeth, but instead it's like a, you know, like a, a Japanese name that I, I'm blanking on right now. But like, it's the exact same story as Macbeth, you know, a witch in the woods talks to Macbeth and Banquo and explains to them that, you know, uh, Banquo's kid will be king and Macbeth will be king, but Macbeth's son won't be king. You know, the whole story's there. And then like Lady Macbeth encourages him to murder the, 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 the leader of, you know, the, uh, either the king or the clan leader, that kind of thing. Um, but it's, again, it takes the essence of that story without any of Shakespeare's words, but you still are hit with like how insane, insanely relevant those themes of like lust for power and, um, uh, you know, like um, jealousy and greed and hunger for things that you think you deserve, like all those kinds of um, themes and the corruption of those, you can see it happen in every single version of Macbeth. But in this one, it is, you know, so interesting because it's set in Japan in like 1498, you know? Yeah. Um, the, the multiple iterations of Shakespeare are so wide ranging and, and ever reaching. Uh, you have the example of the taming of the shrew in mm -hmm. 10 things I hate about you. That's mm -hmm. the story. You know, you look, yeah. you look at it and you're like, Oh snap, that is the story. Um, the sons of anarchy. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that show, but Sons of Anarchy is Hamlet, 100%. Yeah. Uh, Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad is like a amalgamation of Hamlet and Macbeth together where it's a corruption of power, and it's five seasons, and that was intentional, where Vince Gilligan said to himself, I want a story in five acts, and he was dead set on that. The network, with the popularity of the show, of course, as with anything, they want to squeeze some money out of it, and he goes, absolutely not. You'll do it without me. And um, you had the similar thing with Kurt Sutter, uh, who was the writer for Sons of Anarchy, where he had the story uh, basically hashed out for what he wanted it to begin with and how he wanted it to end. And if you go and look at that last season of Sons of Anarchy, whether regardless if it's fully um, satisfying for the viewer, of big fans of that show, um, it is that story of Hamlet. And, you know, you're talking about the, the clear deception uh, and then spoiler alert, but the show's old, you know, Gemma represents Hamlet's mother, you know, and he realizes that she's the, the most wicked villain that he's ever faced uh, with the lies and deceit that she printed, presented with him the whole life, his whole life. Um, so it's, it's amazing. Like once you look through the lens, when the directors or the writers of these things tell you, well, yeah, I use this inspiration and you go, okay. And I love using those examples for my students because they're contemporary examples and then they can find a reference point. I often show them scenes and then I will juxtapose them beside the original text and then explain what each line means so that I can give it to them in an accessible way. Because I think that's why a lot of people don't like Shakespeare because you end up in a situation where your English teacher was just like, all right, who wants to be Banquo? All right, you do that. And the kids are giving no heart, no soul to this class reading, you know, and not everybody is going to be blessed with having a, a teacher who is an actor or something like that that can help people understand the level of intensity that needs to be given to bring those things to life. I mean, yeah. if, you, if you wanted to give it an equal comparison, imagine a song by Juice World or, or uh, Baby with no beat and just, just the words with no rhythm. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't, it, there's no poetic nature to that. And what the, the, you know, artist originally 
set forth to have with that that music with everything there. If you remove all those pieces, it doesn't mean as much. These things were written for the stage. That is exactly yeah. their intention. So if you're not giving it that proper setting, well, yeah, you're not going to enjoy it. And then still a good percentage of the population won't get it because of the language difference and whatever. That's okay. It's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I also think that that's true that a lot of people won't, but I think the, the, the hallmark of a great Shakespeare production is like when everyone, you don't have to understand what every word means, but when you understand exactly what they're saying, you know, mm-hmm. like, like I can say, you know, uh, you know, to be or not to be like that whole speech. And like, if you're like, Oh, okay. Like I, I understand, you know what the words mean. Well, it's like, that's not what I was trying to do. I needed, I need to get across to you that this person wants or possibly wants to kill himself and then is debating whether he should do that or whether he should struggle on with life and whether like any of life's meager, you know, rewards will ever actually be enough or will just the sweet release of death feel better, you know? And like, if I can get that across to you, then like, you know what? I've succeeded. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you don't know all of the words, but if I can, I, I can somehow get that, if I can give that to you and go, Oh yeah, that's, I felt that before. Cause all of us have, I think. And some, not like saying we're all suicidal, but in the saying that like all of us have felt like, should I even continue in this thing or should I just give up? Like that kind of feeling. Um, if I can give that to you, I think I have succeeded. And as an actor, I've definitely succeeded. Right. And desperation is universal. Desperation and hopelessness. Those are things that everybody at some point in their life has likely felt. Um, I don't know if you um, are familiar with it. There's a show that the second season just dropped. Uh, it's called Afterlife, uh, written and directed by Ricky Gervais. Um, and it's, mm. it's about that very thing. It's, the show starts with his wife dying of breast cancer. And the entire first season is him trying to um, – come to terms as to whether or not he should go on and he goes Mm -hmm. around he's decided that the only way that he's going to stick around is on his terms he's going to say whatever he wants he's going to do whatever he wants uh there's going to be no gray uh and he makes everyone around him miserable because he just says whatever there's no filter there and he realizes by spoiler alert uh, but it's already on second season he realizes by the end of the season that you can't live that way uh because Life is about happiness and not just about your happiness, but getting happiness or making other people happy as well. And mm-hmm. I was like, man, this, it's a beautiful show. You should totally check it out. But those yeah. same, as you see, we're making connections. This show is on Netflix right now. It's been around a couple of years and now it's on its second season. These stories are universal, you know, and that's why individuals that do understand these uh, on a deeper level, are so excited about Shakespeare because they know how ahead of his time he was without the things that he put forth, who knows where we would be, but yeah. we could, as two fans, we could probably go down the rabbit hole in this for a while. Um, I want to talk to you about a grand achievement, something that you have experienced in your acting career this far that has been head and shoulders above the rest, a moment perhaps a role that you were given something in acting that you just go, wow, that, that was a moment for me. Oh, uh, okay. I have a few, I have a few. Okay. And they're going to be different. They're going to be really different, but they're, they're each were part of my journey to where I am right now. So the first one, 
when I was in college, um, I had I didn't start acting until I was eighteen, and I was <laughs> deathly deathly. I, I, I hate you people. And by you people, <laughs> I mean people have been in this like a year and are amazing at it. But oh. continue. Yeah, um, I appreciate that. But um, but I, I had only been acting since I was eighteen, and um, I hadn't really. And I'd done, and I'd done two shows, I think, at this point, three. And they were all, I was in the ensemble of each one, which makes sense. I just started acting, you know? Um, but I'm a goal-oriented person sometimes when I actually follow those goals, you know? <laughs> when, I actually, <laughs> when I lay them down and then actually um, go, yeah, I will work on those today. Um, but one of my big goals was when I was in college was like, I wanted to be in a show where I was not the lead per se, but where I, where it was just like me and another person and we had to keep attention the whole time. And like, I, that was like a big goal of mine at the time. It's, it's now it's like kind of ridiculous. Cause like, you know, like uh, the goal of keeping someone's attention for 45 minutes is like weird. But like at the time I was so concerned that like I was boring, you know? Um, so one of my big goals was like to do that, to, to, to learn how to keep someone's attention for five minutes and make sure they were engaged the whole time. And I got this opportunity to do the zoo story, which is one of my favorite theater pieces of all time. Cause it's so damn weird um but beautiful and incredible and full of so many interesting musings on life and whether life is meaningless or not it's kind of an absurdist theater piece written by edward albee um from like the 50s i think yes from like 1952 i don't know um he's the same guy who wrote who's afraid of virginia wolf if anyone doesn't yeah. know albee yeah uh, it's an incredible it's it's a one act you know it's like 45 minutes or so and it's just two guys on a park bench in new york city in central park and um, one guy comes up and is just like, hey, I'm going to talk to you right now, basically. And he's kind of like a wild, crazy, uh, homeless, living in a tenement building kind of person. And the other one's like a, a normal family man with like suspenders and slacks, you know. And um, they just have this conversation. And at the end of it, spoiler alert for a play. Should I do that? No, I'm not going to do that. Who cares? Um, <laughs> um, spoiler alert. Uh, the Jerry, the crazy guy. I call him crazy guy, but the, the, the interesting, the philosopher, I'll call him that. He asks Peter to kill him. He's like, kill me. I want to die. Kill me, please. And he, he gives him a knife. And he's like, I'm not going to do that. He's like, why not? And he's like, because I'm not going to do that. And then Jerry runs himself into the knife and dies. And he's like, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this, for, like, for, for killing me. Like, I really needed this. And, but I got to play Jerry and I was like, oh God, cause Jerry infamously has a three page single spaced monologue. It's 15 Ooh. minutes of just him speaking. And I was like, sure, I can do that. Fine. Um, and like, I did it. We only did two nights of the show, but like I did it. And it was such a wonderful feeling to know that like, I just, did that like one of the greatest like one of the great american theater pieces i played one of the great american roles and i feel like i was successful in it because i got good feedback from like my professors and my my um mentors and who saw it uh and i was like that just was such a wonderful feeling to go oh oh okay and this is what it feels <laughs> like to, to succeed you know and because people people were like legitimately like not, I wouldn't say like moved, but like they were, they were engaged and engrossed and asked me a lot of questions about like, 
like what all of it meant and like who Jerry was and why he was doing these kinds of things that like aren't really explained in the play because he doesn't really give himself any any explanation whatsoever, which is what I love about it. But like, I was like, oh, I was not boring enough that you're asking me questions and you were engaged the whole time. And you know what? That to me was one of my first big accomplishments um, when I was as an actor. Um, the second one was, it was my senior year of college and it was my very last scene class. And my partner and I were doing a scene from The Seagull, Anton Chekhov's The Seagull. Um, again, one of the greatest plays of all time. And I was, it was the very last scene where like, again, I'm not gonna do a spoiler alert for a 116 year old play. Um, <laughs> but um, Constantine and Nina are, were lovers at the beginning, then Nina fell in love with Tregoran, the writer, and then uh, Constantine like tried to shoot himself in the second act or the second half basically. And then this is five years later, they've picked up, Nina was an actress for a while and now she's come back for some reason. And Constantine is kind of a struggling writer who doesn't know if he wants to live or not. And they have a scene where Nina kind of explains. She I'm noticing a trend nervous. of characters that you'd like. Yeah, I love, <laughs> we all love sad people. Um, but Constantine is so moved and then he just decides that life isn't worth living and then he kills himself. Um, but I, I got like, my, my scene partner and I got to such a wonderful place doing that scene that I had never accomplished before. It was as if we were the only two people in the world. And um, Ashley was our teacher at the time and she, she, I remember, I still have the note, but I don't have it like with me, you know? But uh, Ashley gave me this note of like, I think one of the words she said that was like beautiful work and I that I had never, no one had ever described my work as like beautiful before. And I was like, ah! <laughs> you know, I was like, big, like, ah, yes, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. But it was just, but for myself, to lock into that, to like cry on stage, which is something that I hadn't been able to do. Cause like I had been so self-conscious about it, you know, of like getting to tears, which like now it's now, again, these are all things that were like, as a very young actor, I was like, I must be able to cry on stage. But now I'm like, that's not really like the ultimate expression of anything. You know, I think that like, uh, if, if that's all you ever do, then that's kind of boring. But, um, but I, but that was like a big goal for me at the time. It was like, I must be able to do this. But like, getting to that place with my scene partner and just doing it was a wonderful, like such a, 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 again, like a, like a, Oh, I did this. I did it. I did it. I did this thing that I was trying to do really bad. And I actually accomplished something. And the last one was uh, playing Hamlet <laughs> um, was, was getting to do that and, um, and taking it on tour, which, you know, this is going to sound weird, but like, I felt like a legit actor now that I had gone on tour, mm. you know, I was like, ah, I'm following in the tradition of every actor until the movies were a thing where they would just take shows across the country. Yeah. And we were going all through Kentucky and Indiana, which was really, really cool. Um, um, but, and to do it with Hamlet was such a fascinating thing because like, uh, I love that role and I want to play it as soon as I can again, because it's just so full. It's so full of things that you can, you can find that like you can spend, years playing that role and still find new things to pick at you mm. know um, which is like again as an actor that is the greatest gift because that means like you know you're never finished with it so that means you never have to worry about like oh it must be a finished product it's like no every performance is an exploration and they find something new you found something new that shakespeare has there that you can play and like that's a wonderful feeling 
Um, but the first time I did To Be or Not To Be for Seymour High School, and it was a thousand kids, like their whole auditorium was full. And it was just me on stage saying, or not just me, because like um, Ophelia was, was doing her thing. Um, but it was, the focus was on me and I was saying the most famous speech in Shakespeare's canon. And then I was like, after that show, I was like, oh, I just did that. <laughs> that's, a, that's okay. And I get to do that again tomorrow? Sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, but, th but that's kind of a, but, um, but that was just like a, that was a moment where afterwards I was like, oh, that was real. I just said Shakespeare's most famous speech to a thousand people. Huh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And those, those feelings are fun, man. Like, uh, being in a band, sharing the stage with, uh, you know, haven't done that for seven years. I get to share the stage with people that I looked up to and admired for years. Uh, and mm -hmm. we were lucky enough to, you know, have a, a friend who's a local promoter and really set us up with some great shows and things of that nature. And, you know, you, you would go on and you'd be like, who's excited for so-and-so right after us. And it was a weird feeling like all the people that are there to see them are also out, you know, moshing for you and seeing your lyrics and coming to the front of the stage. And there's those performance moments that I think are sort of universal because I've had those moments in acting as well. You know, you said where you make you, everything disappears outside of you and your scene partner. Yeah. And uh, I think that there was one of those moments in Peter and the star catcher, um, which at the end of the play, for, for those of people that don't know, again, Peter star catcher is basically uh, the prequel to Peter Pan. So it's letting you know how Peter got his uh, ability to float and, all the magic that exists there in Neverland and so on and so forth. Uh, Captain Hook is Black Stash. Smee still Smee. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, I'm with, uh, I'm with Molly. I played Lord Aster. And the last scene, we have to tell Peter that he is to stay in Neverland and can't come home with me and Molly, even though him and Molly in the play have really connected and bonded and kind of a young love. <clears throat> and I have to tell Peter that he has to stay. And I have to break that to my daughter. And um, the first weekend, I'll be honest, I didn't feel prepared because there was so much for that show uh, that you have to do. There's a lot of different things that you're doing. We played trees and we were playing these island characters that were like crazy aboriginal people. They're called the mollusks in the show. Uh, and then I played a mermaid. Uh, and it, it was a really demanding play, but the funnest thing I've ever done. Easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but on that second weekend, the second night, those moments when you talk about perfection and those moments that you feel it and you leave a stage and you say, there's no better way I could have done that, was that moment. And it mm -hmm. stuck out to me because I knew the crowd felt it because it was that moment where, again, you couldn't hear anything. You could hear the heartbeat of the person in the first row. Because it's this tragic moment. And, you know, I'm like, no, Peter, you, you can't come with us. And Molly looks at me and she's like, you know, why? And I'm like, because he, the magic will die and he will grow old and everything that, you know, he has been here, it will be gone. The magic stays here. And just a good moment, you know, and it's those moments that you live for. And it's those, it's vulnerability. Again, it all comes back to that. You yeah, know? absolutely. And 
that's probably one of my favorite moments because I've only had a short stint in theater since high school. You know, I, for a crazy person decided to do three shows in a year. <laughs> uh, and in my first year of teaching, uh, I was like, I, I was mentioned in a couple other stories. I'm backstage grading papers and Matt can vouch for this. I would have my computer, my laptop there putting in grades while I'm waiting for my scenes. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and what's hilarious like, is we had, I'm not going to name drop here, but we had certain other people who would be off backstage doing whatever. Um, and, uh, our, our instructor and our director is a very sweet, very sweet person. Mm -hmm. Um, but upon this person poking and prodding her enough, uh, not missing or missing their scenes and missing their cues multiple times. Um, she gave a profane, uh, (laughs) command to everyone. Uh, it was amazing in retrospect because it was like yeah that was powerful because she was like don't fucking waste my time and i was like what just happened you're like like, but it worked everybody everybody literally every cast member grabbed a chair and sat their fucking asses backstage and didn't move it was hilarious we were all like yes (laughs) ma'am yes absolutely yes yes please yes (laughs) like yes I as will do anything. Up, yeah, as messed up as it is, that's one of my favorite moments that I've ever had in theater. Just because I was, I, as a teacher, I was like, yeah, girl. I was like, yes. I wanted to give her a round of applause. I was like, that's how you tell it. That's how you do shit. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, that was, that was also because, like, I, I knew it was, I could feel it as soon as he didn't, as soon as that guy didn't, I was like, oh, God. And then I could just see it boiling and actually, and I was like, oh, God, it co- it's coming. It's yep. coming. And then that, was also, that was also off book week, which was the worst. That was a terrible oh. time for that show for some reason. Yeah. But somehow it came together. You still had people, um, for anybody familiar with, um, I got to give mad props. Uh, for anybody familiar with Shakespeare, you know um, the famous speech, uh, God, uh, Jay Quise's speech. Uh, you have your players, um, God, I can't remember the speech now. I could have given it to you word uh, for word. There, um, oh no! All the world's a stage. Stage. All the world's yes, a stage. All the world's a stage. And um, the young lady who was playing Jayquise uh, had some health things and could not do the role. Four days out, <laughs> we had a young lady step up and do one of the uh, more famous pieces of dialogue from Shakespeare, uh, and do it quite well. She did yeah. such an amazing job. Um, so that all of that was such a beautiful demonstration of the show must go on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it went really well. Like uh, the, uh, the on-campus expert at IUS of Shakespeare, uh, who allegedly seems to like nothing, uh, <laughs> she's pretty tough from what I've heard, uh, came yeah. out and really enjoyed our performance. So we evidently did something okay. That's all that matters. <laughs> When, when the Shakespeare expert, that's always another thing too. It's like when the Shakespeare expert says it was a good job, you're like sick. You're like, we did a good job. You know? Hells yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like to end these. Um, this has been a really nice conversation. Um, it really hasn't taken any negative turns, but either way, I really like to leave um, these conversations with a nice bit of positivity. Uh, and what better way to do that than have you um, give some inspirations as to why you entered the theater, uh, whether that be something that occurred in your life, a show that you saw, a person, uh, and it could be multiple inspirations. Um, 
So yeah, what are some of those for you? Uh, so I started acting. Well, I had the, in, the inclination to begin acting when I was 10 years old and I didn't do it for eight more years because I was a terrified, terrible, um, lazy child. Um, but the first, the first dude that did it for me was Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight and was, seeing, was going, wait, you can do that? Like, you can do that? Oh my gosh, you know? Um, and I was just so blown away, which, you know, and it's so tragic that Heath passed um, like that still gets me to this day because I'm obsessed with Heath Ledger's work and I'm and not even just his work, but his life. Like there's so many, there's a couple documentaries about his life that are just, he was such a wonderful soul, such a wonderful soul. Um, but that was one of those things. But um, my friends got me into it originally, but then I have as a person been inspired multiple times by different shows or movies that just moved me so to the core that I was like, I need to do that for other people. Like um, Lady Bird. Lady Bird, the movie is one of my, it is still my favorite movie of all time. And I am obsessed with that film because it's a beautiful, beautiful film. Um, and um, Hades Town. I got, my sister and I went to New York City last summer. And I, we have got to see take, I have to give you a quick aside with that. I have you to thank for that. Uh, yeah. He is, as you've noticed throughout this podcast, this man is an encyclopedia. Uh, of shows and things of that nature and all through the show since we were uh, dressing roommates he would just go down the rabbit hole of things that i should check out and i actually listened to him on one of them and i uh, went home and checked out Hades Town. and oh my god uh for my listeners if you have not checked it out do that sorry to derail you how did you do to thank for that no you're good man Hades Town is a beautiful piece of theater and i was sitting my sister and i got extreme stage left like second row seats because it was we bought him before the Tonys because we knew we knew Hey Sound was gonna win best musical and I was like no as we must should. have cheap seats as it yeah exactly exactly um, and I was sitting there my neck was craned to the right and on the thrust of the stage Reeve Carney was singing um, the like the wait for me like that whole oh, crane so, so good and I was just like moved to my core. And I was again, like reaffirmed, like I need to do this every day for the rest of my life. I need to do this for other people because this feeling is something that you cannot describe. And, um, but it is so life affirming and so joy um, bringing that like, you know, I, I would, I, I would love to do this for other people. And that's, that's something that I think if I was going to leave anyone with any kind of inspiration, it is right now we're in kind of dark times, you know, a lot of things are going wrong and um, a lot of people aren't acting in our best interests and a lot of things just aren't going the way they could be going. But at the end of the day, we still have stories and that is kind of what humanity has been based on. So I think right now is the time, if you have the time in the mental space to, to just go back to stories that you love and find new stories and just tell them to other people, explain it to someone, you know, or, or read them a passage from something like just do anything that you can to, um, to bring yourself and other people joy. And like, my way is stories. It always has been, but it can be through anything, art, um, you know, uh, working on cars, anything, anything that you want to do right now that makes you happy, do it because if you can do that for the rest of your life, I think you will live, you will have lived a full and worthy, worthy 
life. So, you know, I guess that's, that's the thing. <laughs> that's, that's, that's such a wonderful sentiment and such a wonderful way to bring uh, such a great conversation to an end. Uh, let me thank you so much, man. I appreciate you humoring you. me uh, and sitting down with me. I, I, this hasn't established into anything uh, yet. I haven't put out not the first episode and you make the 13th interview that I've had in a week. Um, Sick, dude. So That's yeah, awesome. man, uh, I'm really excited that my friends believe in me enough to think that this idea is worth something uh, devoting their time to. And I thank you so much, man. Uh, you're a beautiful soul. Uh, I think you're a super talented actor. Uh, I can't wait for you to be famous. And then, you know, I can ride your coattail and bring my podcast into a greater realm on your coattail. Oh. Oh. Well, thank you, man. As are you. It was a wonderful experience to do this because I don't get to to talk about acting in this kind of way much. So it was kind of very cathartic right now in the sense of like, you know, no one gets to talk. We're not talking. No one's talking right now. Everyone's yeah. at home on their computers or dying, you know? I mean, not dying. <laughs> Damn. I didn't mean you it like to that. a dark place. I did not mean to. I meant, I meant like dying of boredom, but like, and then yeah. I realized immediately I was like, shit, people are actually dying. This is not a good thing for me to yeah. say, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, you know, people we were just, we're sitting there withering away sometimes like on our laptops, like panicking. And, and I think it's so great to be able to talk to someone and, and be able to just express things and kind of just like let things out, you know? So thank yeah. you for that. And thank you for being a, a wonderful and kind soul that is starting something that I think is very, a very worthy endeavor. Beautiful. Thank you, brother. I appreciate your time, man.